listening to Awaken ADHD, a podcast where people share their ADHD stories, their life before and after diagnosis, their support, strategy, strengths and challenges. Hi, I'm Jade and I'll be your host. I'm a counsellor, an ADHD coach and a fellow ADHDer. So join me as we awaken ADHD. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Boomerang Country and we wish to acknowledge them as the traditional landowners. We recognise First Peoples of Australia as the original storytellers of this country and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I'm here with Rachel. She's a mum of three children, five, seven and eight, two of which are neurodivergent. She's a private practice social worker and fertility and postpartum doula in Seaford, Victoria. A mama is born, Rach. That's you. That's me. Hello. Lovely to be here. Hello. Lovely. Thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I am well. I'm enjoying a lovely day with children in kinder and school, which is a rare occurrence for me. So it's quite peaceful. Ah, beautiful. That's just what we want to hear. Alrighty, let's let's jump right in. Do you want to just share a little bit about when you first, I guess, awakened to ADHD within your children? Yeah, so the last couple of years has been a huge awakening, I guess, to the whole neurodiversity realm. Um, I haven't had any other known family members or even friends uh, that have had neurodiversity or ADHD. So when we sort of started going down um, the path of looking into this for our middle child, uh, he, through a very long process over COVID and lockdowns and all sorts of things, he came back just before he started um, PrEP Foundation, which is our first year of schooling here in Victoria. Um, He came back as being autistic. Uh, At that stage, we didn't actually um, assess for ADHD just because he was only sort of four or five at that time. And And what was that moment like for for you and your family? I never, I could never really, you know, some t- people really have a gut feeling that no, that's what it is. I really was never sure. I just knew it was really, really hard to parent him and that my usual tools from both being a parent but also in the work that I do just were not helping or working with him. So I knew things were tricky and difficult. But I think my, you know, understanding which in some ways was minimal around these sorts of things was more the very apparent you know language difficulties and huge social difficulties whereas like my children in some ways haven't had that it's been more um more subtle than that so it was definitely a shock I think oh, I can um, only imagine you know it's yeah must be a, a huge shock to try and come to terms with how that is in your family and what that's going to mean. So then you've you've got this diagnosis right in that foundation year. What happened then? So we then got on to applying to the NDIS, mm-hmm. uh, which is our you know government support system for disability to hopefully get him some funding so we can just start 
gathering some of these sort of allied health supports for him to help us with some strategies, help him with some strategies. So that in itself is quite a lengthy funding process. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very, um, it's very deficits based, which is really hard, especially as a social, as a parent, but as, as a social worker who tries to um, look for people's strengths and positive um, aspects, you really have to report your child on their worst possible day. It's not really affirming, is it? It's really not. So it's a triggering process because you're just reeling off all these off like really difficult things um, that's happening for your child to get, right. I guess, the support that you need to get for them. Alongside actually having to be with the kids, you know, it's a busy life you would have. Yeah, yeah. Through, well, yeah, we sort of had the whole three kids under three, so they're all very close in age. We were in lockdown, well, you know, in and out of lockdowns and um, the after effect of COVID and starting school and all sorts of things. So, yeah, there was a lot um a lot happening, a lot to navigate, um, but we did get approved, which was amazing. So it just just meant we could put the things in place that we thought at the time, you know, would help. So that was with the autism diagnosis. That was with the right? autism. So yeah. in the meantime, um, that was sort of over his four-year-old kinder year and his foundation year. Our eldest son, who's a year and a half older than our middle son, his behaviour was starting to become... I guess, more troubling, more difficult. What was difficult and troubling? Well, he was a very calm, he was a pretty calm, like, toddler, went through kinder years okay, started his foundation year over that sort of COVID period and he just really all of a sudden had a lot of separation anxieties, a lot of difficulties um, adjusting to school life. Uh, a lot of emotional dysregulation and that sort of just kept increasing and then in recent years like that behaviour had become a lot more aggressive and physical. So at home or outside of the home? Home. So both of them actually and that was where it was always sort of that bit trickier around diagnosis because most of their stuff is at home with us or with their siblings. Um, Both of them have been (laughs) quite good at masking uh their behaviors you know in the community and um school settings so yeah I think the big trigger for us was the aggression but also for him getting a little bit older he was starting to notice his own deficit so he was getting really upset with himself for say like leaving things at school constantly forgetting things even though he was older than his brother we were having to keep reminding him constantly of like the day-to-day procedural tasks there's no way you could tell him to go brush his teeth brush his hair and go to the toilet like he would just get lost along the way he'd get lost along the way you know something would distract him or you know so I know that feeling and it it is heartbreaking because that is the you know part of the origin story of so many neurodivergent individuals with that self-worth Yes. In that battle, why can't I? Yeah, so he was so he was getting older and able to articulate it better with us as well, just right. him getting really disappointed, him getting really upset when he's lost stuff that he really likes, um, you know, the frustration in the household with from both sides, you know, because you're constantly telling a child to do the same thing over and over or you're trying to get out the door or, 
you know, you're wanting them to get into bed and it's just not. It's not exhausting journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, again, I probably even at that point I was, wasn't really sure what we were contending with. We thought it could have been a bit of, you know, post sort of COVID-related mental health stuff. Um, right. There's so many added in complexities there. Mm, absolutely. So we were really lucky to be linked um, well, first we attempted a, a link with a school psychologist, which didn't really uh, work very well. So then we found another one outside of school. And she, one of the first things she did was a screening tool around memory and ADHD. And he came back quite high in the sort of inattentive range and ticked a lot of the boxes. I was like, right. ah, okay. And that, and was, that was kind of a moment for you that something kind of made sense to you it sounds like yeah I think so I again probably you know from upbringing and just lack of knowing you sort of have this picture of ADHD as like that really hyperactive can't sit still you know they're the ones that are more boisterous in class or in their play which wasn't him um what was he like in in his play and with his peers and Gentle, really creative, gravitates towards playing with the girls, you know, and he can sort of do as, I don't like saying that, but do as he's told. Like he fits in the school structure in some ways that he'll, you know, he'll be attempting to do the schoolwork and attempting to sit and do the things um, and not being disruptive as such. So it wasn't flagged in the sort of, you know, two, three years of his schooling isn't that interesting that that is yeah. still these children are still being missed if oh. they are appearing to be doing a good job and paying attention and yeah. being the the model student when um when really quite often they're masking or mm-hmm. not actually hearing just doing the best they can not yeah. you know missing things and not being attentive but covering it up and I just wondered too, like because then we went when we went back to the teacher, I was like, "What are you noticing?" And and then she was, I was like, "Oh, actually, oh, there is this and this and this." I was like, "So you've seen that, but then like they themselves haven't put it together either." So you sort of just wonder, is it their lack of knowing or understanding, or because he's not being disruptive, they're not able to give that attention to him to really investigate that a bit further, you know? Yeah. Very true, very true. He went under the radar, I guess, for a lot longer. Right. Yeah. Now that he's been diagnosed, what what kind of difference is that making in the family? His is a fairly new diagnosis, so we probably had all of that back only. um, So we went through quite a lengthy process because we looked at the autism, ADHD and learning difficulties. So it's very new. And then, you know, we had to go and see the paediatrician and all that sort of stuff. So I think, again, I'm very grieved by by the diagnosis, I guess, in a sense. There was a few griefs, I guess, because, A, that I feel it went on for so long and there's that little bit of remorse around, you know, missing that sort of early intervention type stuff that my other child got to receive. Right. Um, but also, you know, all of this stuff is lifelong. Um, you hate to think that your child's been struggling that long. Um, yeah. But also sort of I guess the difference with the ADHD versus just 
the straight autism diagnosis for me was the consideration of medications. I feel like that throw threw in a whole other, I guess, mind battle uh, and stuff to learn about and decisions to be made. So we had to sort of sit with that for a while. So it was just a lot of a lot of factors, I guess, having that the diagnosis of like multiple multiple things at the same time. Right. So and so for your elders, how is that conversation with him about mm. this diagnosis? How how has that been? What does that look like in your family? So when we started the assessments, he was just turned eight. So we were actually very open with him I said you know we're going to go speak with these people they're going to do some games but also some tests just to see how your brain is working because you know you're getting really annoyed with your memory and and they're they're able to sort of look into that for you and see what's you know what's going on so he sort of knew what to to an extent that an eight-year-old can um Hmm. what we were doing we actually saw the pediatrician first without actually having the proper report back from the um from the psych so he he then also talked to him directly and sort of explained how some brains work like this and some brains work like that and this is what yours is doing and from I guess the get-go the diagnosis we've been explaining it um I guess as child friendly as child friendly as you can we already had a lot of books anyway because we were quite open with our autistic son about you know different brains and autism so he'd been amongst that anyway and how did he take it how does he what's his languaging around it and does he share it with peers and what's his connection to the story he's more accepting than the the younger brother um He's sort of taking it in his stride. I think one of the first things when I actually had, a, you know, more of a talk with him after the paediatrician, he ran out to his other brother and said, hey, I've got an autism brain too. Oh. So there was this level of connection um, immediately, I guess, and they've since, you know, in recent years had a, another cousin with autism diagnosed as well. So I think for him it's probably added to his identity in a probably been a missing puzzle piece I feel a missing puzzle piece I think that's beautiful sometimes we have bad days though like last night it's the first week back of school here and his dad's away for a few nights and you know big feels lots of tiredness and he was just you know very emotional and melting down and really frustrated at himself and not liking himself and you know doesn't feel part of the family so there's like he says these things that he doesn't feel part of the family and yeah I think because he's got that level of awareness that he's having difficulty like he was having a particularly difficult night and so I think he has that level of awareness now that he's having difficulty with things so then obviously you feel the isolation around that and the worry that you don't fit in so he definitely has those moments around his worth and his self-identity that are difficult as well. So, And I guess that's, uh, that speaks to that grief that you mentioned as a parent, you yeah. know, having, having a child that is going to have struggles. And, and what do you see as some of the, you know, he's going, there's going to be things that he's going to struggle with and you've shared mm. some of those. What do you think are some of the ways in which his you know, his differences and his neurodivergent brain, you know, strengths for him? For him in particular, so he's also um, at this 
time of his life. Oh, I don't know. He hasn't labelled it, but it's nearly a gender fluid. So he very much gravitates between feminine and masculine type um, hobbies and likes and interests and friends. So he's, you know, which is from one of my readings of recently is um, a higher proportion, I guess, of neurodivergent people have this sort of gender fluidity stuff. So he very Oh, much- is that so? So for him, I think that really, and even with that, really fits in. He's very creative. So he loves dance and making things and art and performing. So I think that's going to be a real strength for him. And in some ways, he's very confident in his, in some ways, especially with his gender stuff, very confident in his own skin. Like he's still very happy to present himself as he is and what he likes to wear and what he likes to play with, whether it's you know, seen as boy stuff versus girl stuff, he will just like what he likes, which I really, really love. I really love that too. And I think there's something, you know, quite, you know, protective for him there. You know, he's he, he's unique and he's got, you know, unique brain wiring and and he's seeing that and owning that, even though there's going to be struggles and there's going to be hardships, it sounds like, right now even from the earliest of age he's quite he's quite comfortable being him yeah I think so especially with that sort of those sorts of features of himself he very Mm -hmm. much is just happy dressing playing the way he the way he enjoys and way he loves to express himself and um and that's been one of the factors with you know discuss you know discussions with school I don't want the school system to sort of beat that out of him essentially like bullied out of him or you know their sort of systems put on him so that's taken away like I really want him to hold on to that because I feel like that's going to be that's going to be part of his magic like he I can just envision him as like a fashion designer or like Harry Styles like just wearing what he wants to wear and sort of breaking some of those social sort of trends if he sort of you know continues on this path because like that's what you sort of want for any child anyway, isn't it, that they can just forge their own path, yeah, Yeah. and not be put into a box. Exactly. He's unique and and allowing him the the ability to just be, yeah, just, you know, as a parent it sounds like you're trying to take away the different obstacles that are going to pop up to prevent him just to keep flourishing and growing the way in which he, he grows naturally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as like you touched on there, just looking at the things that are going to help him along the way. So we've literally, which I haven't even had the chance to tell you, we literally got approved for his NDIS plan today. So we finally oh, have funding for him to sort of get some supports, you know, OT for around, you know, the memory stuff and the procedural stuff. He'll continue with his psychology for all that sort of acceptance and identity stuff. And then you know, whatever else, you know, maybe some groups and um, things like that just so we can really, you know, just start getting that little bit of assistance to sort of make day-to-day life a bit easier, a bit smoother, put some stuff in for us as well, hopefully, so we're better equipped and educated as to how um, best support him because we just, you know, he, he's got such huge potential to be really okay in his own skin um but I think you know if he doesn't have the supports then it could so quickly also go the other direction as well right I mean that really that really makes me think right as a a parent 
a, of a child with, you know, a different child, whatever the difference is, that we have to become really educated, don't we? Oh, absolutely. To advocate learning. for them. Yes. Because if you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, a big part of my time now is, um, you know, reading and learning and linking with linking with groups and figuring out resources and all those sorts of things because, well, they're young. They're like six and, you know, seven, nearly seven and eight. Um, they don't know either, so I have to be that person for them. So you have to be that person. You have to become a neurodivergent expert in your own right. Yeah, exactly. So that's a lot of work in itself. It is a lot of work. Um so what do you what do you feel are going to be the biggest challenges for you as a a parent you and your partner? I think so, well so far for me so when the boys were starting to get diagnosed we were obviously coming out of sort of lockdown and all those things and I had sort of just started returning to after being stay at home with them since birth um, starting to do my own sort of work and career shifts and things like that. The biggest challenge has been not being able to do that as as I'd hoped. I guess the big change for me is an identity change around um, I'm now actually a carer as well uh, and a lot of my time is a lot of more of my time than what I'd ever anticipated is spent on caring for the kids and their needs and their therapies and all the admin that goes along with it. So that's been a big challenge, I guess, coming to terms with that. Oh, I can only imagine, Rachel, that you had your idea of when you would kind of get back into your career and it's something you're really passionate about, right? Mm, That's not just a job to you. Oh, no, I love like it. Yeah, it fills me up. I love it. This is your passion. So no doubt that plays into the grief component for you, the grief of what your life might look and look like and how it might be different, you know, at least in the you know, short to medium term, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's really just had to be a, uh, a gear shift for me around, okay, I thought, you know, around that 2020 time, like things it was a changing time for me and I was slowly going to get back into it. But then obviously there was a pandemic, but then also there's all this stuff with the um, the kids over the last few years as well. So really trying to reshift that again as well and sort of surrender to, okay, this is what this season is right now. Um, the the season of your life. Season, yeah. Exactly. And just hope, you know, that my time and ability to sort of do more career-wise you know, it's still there. It's still waiting. Um, and just trying to be really, I guess, patient. That really patient. Um, oh, that's hard, isn't it? It's is hard. <laughs> what aspect of you know? Because I know, I know of your work, of course. Mm. What aspect of your your business or your career can you stay connected to? Have you kind of found mm. something that will be a balance? You know, is it the group, the individual? What? Yeah, I think just uh, like dropping my. I don't want to say expectations, but originally I thought I'd be able to do a certain amount of, um, you know, home visits or doula visits a month and a certain amount of this and that. I think it's just lowering that so I'm more targeting that I'm doing a bit of the work that I like doing but 
just over a shorter like period and it's a less less work so maybe two days a week that are pretty solidly dedicated and then sort of working around the other days where there's appointments for the kids and those sorts of things so there's more I guess it's more clearer there's a bit more boundaries around when it's work time or when it's the other stuff can be booked in and not feeling that I need to say yes to all the work stuff or yes to when the appointments are thrown at me sort of having choice and boundaries around those sorts of things I think will help me moving um, forward so I feel like I'm achieving a bit of work but I'm also getting the kids appointments and things achieved. And that acceptance sounds like because you know as I'm hearing your story our stories have a lot of similarity Mm. in the sense that you know I also have neurodivergent children which I haven't shared in in my previous story yet that'll be the next uh, or one of the next episodes where somebody will interview me (laughs) on my role as a parent but you know my business also has to take a step back and it's something about that acceptance so that I don't almost build resentment Mm, if that's the right term to me yeah definitely I think it's very easy to build some resentment when you know there's been a blockage to how you thought life was going to be or career was going to be and it's not resentment towards the the child it's just the unfairness of it and the frustration of having to do this when I really want to do that yeah exactly (laughs) yeah okay is there anything else you want to you want to share do you want to share a little bit about some of your work or where people can reach you if they do need your beautiful services or just anything else about I definitely, I think going through this process with my children, it's really opened up um, my world to sort of the parenting impact on children with, I guess, any additional needs, of course, health-wise or mental health-wise or neurodivergence. So I definitely feel myself drawn more and more to offering those spaces um, uh-huh. so I, feel I hear in, you traveling we might get together and run like a you know a, a mother's circle or something for you know mothers with additional you know children with additional needs oh, I am that. absolutely loving that idea <laughs> and yes yes I thought you'd love that I mean it's so much easier to it's so much more natural and intuitive to use this new lived experience and the learned knowledge to, to share it and connect with Absolutely. people. Like, Cause like you, I'm just so passionate about supporting people, building the village and connecting people. I feel it's so essential, especially, you know, for parents just to have those connections and then being able to connect with people who are on similar journeys. I think it's just such gold in that and magic. So I definitely feel like in the future, not this year, I'm trying to really just draw it all back this year and just know we sort of have, a lot deal going on this year but for you right. know future goals like definitely would love to do that and definitely put it in the plan in, yeah. calling in you know those mums that are having difficulties just sort of coming to terms or parenting um children with additional needs um you know having them in my counseling space um you know would love to support them through that so I definitely open to having new clients I do in person and you know, telehealth appointments or even in-home. I'm happy to do in-home appointments as well because I know especially those that have um, children with additional needs that um, it can be hard to leave the house or to find appropriate people to look after them. You, 
your resources are much more limited. You can't yeah. just sometimes you don't have any babysitters because no one knows how to look after them. You know, with so oh, so yeah. true, so true. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you as always, always. and. Um, <laughs> No doubt you'll jump back on at another time and share some sure. more experiences as we go down the track. Yes, I feel I'm very, I feel I'm still very early in it. So, yeah, so we'll touch base in another six to 12 months and see yeah. how the story is progressing. Exactly, exactly. Lovely. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jay. You've been listening to Awaken ADHD. And if you'd love to share your story, Jump online, visit awakenadhd.com.au and don't forget to follow and subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. Till next time. This podcast is not a licensed mental health provider. It represents the personal opinions and experiences of individuals. No content should be taken as professional advice or recommendation. 